Heads. Uh, it looks like, unfortunately, we've got to give another Ukraine update because uh, the recent news suggests that Vladimir Putin has ordered uh, Russian troops to the two separatist republics in the Donbass region. Uh, Derek, one, is that correct? And two, maybe you could just let our listeners know what has been going on as we record this uh, at let's say 648 Eastern time, February 21st, <laughs> 648 and 23 seconds. Uh, yeah, this is real so- news, baby. Yeah, I know. This is I I I want to say like podcasting is the worst format for doing this stuff, but uh, it has to be done, I suppose. Uh, so wow, Derek, uh, we need to undercut us right at the beginning. Don't listen to no, that. No, I friends. mean we're doing the best we can, but by the time people listen to this, it's already going to be out of date. No, fake uh, news. It's going to be up in an hour. Don't listen to Derek. Okay, all, all right, Derek, right, what's right, going on? All right, fine. <laughs> so. Um, so yeah, so Monday kind of began ominously uh, over the weekend. Uh, Emmanuel Macron, the uh, very uh, proud of himself president of France, uh, called Vladimir Putin. Uh, had another you know, his interminable uh, series of phone calls with Vladimir Putin. After which he claimed to have brokered a summit between Putin and Joe Biden that would seemingly have forestalled any major developments on the Ukraine front uh, until it took place. Well, the Russians started their day on Monday or kind of, you know, responded to to Macron by saying it was a little premature to be talking about a summit between Vladimir Putin and Joe Biden. Uh, and then they made sure, probably made sure that that the summit will not be taking place. Uh, so what happened on, on Monday was there, uh, there was this, um, I, I mean, I didn't watch it and I, my four years of college Russian were all for naught, so I wouldn't have understood it anyway. Um, but from what I understand and from the way it's been described uh, by a variety of sources, uh, it, Putin held a televised meeting uh, of his National Security Council, basically, with uh, you know all manner of grandees, uh, Sergei Lavrov, his foreign minister, Sergei Shoigu, his secretary of defense or minister of defense, uh, various other you know members of the, the security team. Uh, and it sounds like this thing was basically scripted. I mean, it sounds like it was a skit, more or less. Um, and Putin kind of had each of the members of the council uh, give some remarks about uh, on the the issue of whether or not Russia should recognize the independence of the two breakaway p- republics in Ukraine, the Donetsk People's Republic and the Luhansk People's Republic. Um it got it was it seemed so scripted in fact that when they got to um a couple of folks the prime minister um and i'm going to i'm going to butcher his name but i'll try anyway um uh sorry give me a second to try and get this right uh, Mikhail Mishustin, sorry, uh, really apologize for that. Uh, when they got to Mishustin, uh, and um, the the head of Russia's foreign intelligence uh, agency, Sergei Narishkin, uh, 
they both kind of like flubbed their lines. It looked like they kind of flubbed their lines or something. Uh, and Putin got very pissed off at them, you know, during the like he got visibly irritated with them uh, for not getting the line. So it was that kind of that kind of event. It seems very strange, uh, but. Uh, after that, Putin said, you know, I'm going to take all of this information that my people have given me uh, on board, again, sort of in, in the scripted process, uh, and I'm going to announce later in the evening, later Monday evening, I will announce a decision uh, on whether or not we're going to recognize the independence of these republics. And he did later announce uh, in a somewhat uh, angry speech, it seems to, it seems like, uh, in which he articulated a number of grievances with the United States, with NATO, uh, with the you know state of the global system in general, uh, he announced that Russia will be uh, will not only recognize uh, the independence of these two republics, but will also uh, and I think he's done this by now. He he was signing the decrees as he uh, after he gave the speech uh, will be. Uh, uh, have uh, they're, they're going to adopt these mutual aid and uh, security pacts with both of the republics, and uh, will be sending Russian soldiers into the Donbas region, into these the territory occupied by these two republics, uh, for you know peacekeeping, and you can put that in quotes, I guess. Um, but uh, that's where things stand. This will be, I mean, Russia has been military, militarily intervening in the Donbass since 2014, but this will be uh, an overt military intervention now with Russian troops probably in much larger numbers occupying the Donbass. And I think probably at this point makes some conflict inevitable, but I think it will be more along the lines of what happened in Georgia in 2008, uh, or maybe, and this is an example that Putin likes to bring up, uh, maybe along the lines of the intervention by NATO uh, to uh, supposedly, you know, depending on who you talk to, protect Kosovo from Serbia uh, in the, the late 90s, which resulted in Kosovo's independence. Uh, rather than the sort of all-out invasion regime change, we're going to have Russian tanks in the streets of Kiev and, uh, you know, kind of rolling across the country. I think that scenario is still on the unlikely side of the scale, but but I do think we're probably looking at some some more limited military conflict just in eastern Ukraine, probably confined to uh, the Donetsk and, and Luhansk provinces uh, and, and probably designed to secure all the territory of those provinces for the breakaway republics. Right now, um, most of those provinces are still in Ukrainian government hands but but i think if there is a conflict uh that's that's where the focus will be all right so derek there's a few questions one do you think this is a prelude to annexation or this is a prelude to these states trying to become independently sovereign on the world stage or is this just um sort of there'll, there'll be war on the periphery for the foreseeable future um i i don't think it's uh a, a, a prelude to annexation um, again, if we look at the example of uh, Abkhazia and South Ossetia and Georgia in 2008, Russia um, recognized the independence of those two breakaway republics, but it has not moved to annex them. Um, annexation doesn't really do anything 
for Russia in these cases. Um, and, and people point to Crimea and the annexation of Crimea. Crimea is a much different case. It's more strategically valuable. It's more economically valuable. Uh, there's just a lot more that, that Crimea brings to Russia. Uh, the Donbass is a relatively impoverished region. It's got some coal resources and, and that sort of thing, but that doesn't really, uh, that's not really moving the, the, the needle for, for Russia. Um, what what it can offer as um you know again like the the georgian republics is this sort of perpetual um unre- largely unrecognized it'll be recognized by russia maybe by syria uh you know a couple of other small states that are kind of enthralled to to russia um but largely you know the the independence of these places will be largely unrecognized they'll exist as kind of uh perpetual open sores in ukraine in ukrainian politics uh and and they'll give moscow a a a lever to some degree uh over ukrainian politics and, and allow them to keep uh keep ukrainian politics kind of off balance uh so i don't think annexation is in the cards i don't think that that addresses any of uh, Putin's real um, desires here. Uh, but I do think you'll have a, a, an attempt to say these places are independent uh, and, you know, that won't be recognized, but it'll be maintained uh, through Russian force of arms. Basically, they'll probably occupy uh, these this region militarily for the, you know, indeterminate future. Uh, and so why does Putin want to keep Ukrainian politics off balance? And what is his strategic goal here? So obviously, he doesn't want Ukraine to join NATO. But I imagine there's a right. more regional position here as well. Um, I mean, I think NATO is the, the big one. And it's the one that he keeps talking about. And I think it's okay to you know take him at his, uh, his word. I know that's uh, anathema to some corners of the foreign policy establishment. But this was his concern in Georgia as well. And it goes back to 2008 and the, the Bucharest... Uh, agreement the the Bush administration was very involved in kind of promising NATO membership to Ukraine and Georgia um, and I think you know what he does here uh, through maintaining these kind of paper states uh, is he makes sure that Ukraine and Georgia will never be suitable candidates for NATO membership. If there was ever a time when you could envision that happening, uh, NATO is not going to admit countries that have active uh, internal territorial disputes. It would be inviting uh, a a war, and that's, you know, NATO is not inclined to do that. Uh, So I think that's that's a big one. Um, I mean, the other thing he, he does with these moves is and I, I you know i kind of return to the example of kosovo which again is something putin has talked about in the past as, as being an, an example of the west kind of rewriting the rules of the road uh intervening to secure the independence again not fully recognized but but uh, largely recognized uh independence of a, a country that was carved out of the territory uh of another country and i know you know people will dispute that that characterization of the kosovo war and that's fine i'm not trying to like uh adjudicate the kosovo war i'm saying from putin's perspective uh that's what it was it was the west saying uh, we have the right to kind of go in and carve out new countries from the the what had been the recognized territory of, of another country in this case serbia um, and so Putin is, you know, and to some extent, he he does this, and and he gets to say, you know, look, I'm just playing by your rules, and it's sort of a, you know, a thumb thumb in the eye or whatever. And so. 
do you think that in doing so, he's trying to tell the world that Russia is back in some sense that, you know, everyone's talking about the U.S. and China, but actually there's a third great power here that people have to pay attention to? Is that a, a, a part of the political communication happening here? I mean, I think that's part of the communication. I wouldn't I wouldn't say it has a lot to do with China. I would say it's just about uh, feeling like Russia has lost status. It's been, uh, you know, it spent the last 30 years being humiliated by the West again and again. Um, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to describe this from what I think the, the Russian perspective is. I'm not, uh, saying that this is my position necessarily. Um, but you know, his argument would be Russia has been, um, humbled. It's been humiliated by, by the West and, uh, you know, that it, it this is a, a, a great power. This is a superpower and that he wants, uh, people to recognize that he has just as much ability uh, or Russia has just as much ability to make its own rules as, as the United States does. So maybe we could just end on a couple of, um, quick questions. Maybe you could just let our listeners know who will be the players in the coming months, because these things oftentimes get very confusing. So what groups are in which sides? Um, and then, um, I've got a bit of a question about how you're, uh, how you might characterize the Western response to what appears to be the invasion call. So you could answer those in whatever order you prefer. So basically who is involved and what do you think of the West response? Um, yeah, so I mean, the the main players here, I mean, the, the Luhansk and, and Donetsk People's Republics, uh, which again are sort of these paper states that aren't aren't recognized by anybody except Russia now, uh, and there will be probably some. Um, a little bit of, of uh, additional recognition to follow against Syria as a country to watch out for. Um, I assume South Ossetia and Abkhazia will recognize these republics if they haven't already, and they may, they may already have done that. I, I honestly don't know. Um, but you know, those are, I mean, you know, it'll be Russia and those two republics. The Russians will um, put these peacekeepers in the Donbass. Uh, the big question is whether they're going to uh, sort of accept, uh, whether they're going to stop at the current front line and say, okay, this is the, uh, these are the Donetsk and, and Luhansk states, uh, and we're going to accept them as they are, or if they're going to push. Uh, to, as I said earlier, retake or, you know, kind of take uh, the rest of those two provinces uh, from the Ukrainian military, which is something that the leaders of the uh, the DNR and the LNR have talked about doing and have asked for Russian help uh, in doing. So that's, I mean, that's the most obvious place where you would have uh, a war here is, is the attempt to re retake that uh, territory, and that would presumably include some kind of an air campaign. Russia would make uh, good use of its air superiority. Um, again, you know, in, a, in an operation that may mimic some aspects of the uh, Kosovo War in the late 90s, uh, and would also mimic uh, or mirror some aspects of the, the Georgian War in 2008. Um, on the other side, I mean, you've got Ukraine, obviously, 
the Ukrainian government. You've got a lot of paramilitaries that uh, work with the Ukrainian military, some of them uh, a little uh, uh, of some concern uh, in terms of their uh, Wait, Derek, are there moderate rebels? Yeah, are there so, moderate rebels know. we can support? The, the search for the moderate rebel. The search for the moderate rebel. I mean, it's it's been kind of funny to watch. Uh, and I, I don't. I try not to watch a lot of TV news, but there have been these reports. Like Richard Engel for NBC did one uh, recently that was like, uh, you know, even grandmas in in Ukraine are like getting trained to use small arms in case of an invasion to defend themselves. And it turned out, it turns out that like one, the group that's doing the training is like one of these far right militias. <laughs> and you're just like, yeah, come on, man! Like you're, uh, you guys are just uh, promoting. Uh, uh, some some seedy characters um so you know ukraine uh, again you sort of uh it depends the the extent to which some of these other kind of peripheral places will get involved depends on how heavy the fighting gets um in the the case of an actual full-scale war which is the thing that the west has been warning about that i've been a little skeptical about you could see russian forces invade from belarus which would bring belarus into the conflict you could see them uh invade from the other side of ukraine in the transnistria which is a a sort of breakaway region of moldova similar to the the donbass uh filled with russian speakers and you know kind of russophilic population or uh, outright ethnic Russian population. Um, so you could see some of these other places kind of get involved in that. Uh, NATO obviously uh, is going to be involved at some level. Uh, and this is where we sort of get into the Western response, which I think uh, is still being formulated. My sense is that Putin has caught people a little bit off guard with this uh, this move because everything up till now has been calibrated toward this idea of uh, there's going to be a full-blown invasion. He's going to try to overthrow the Ukrainian government and, and conquer the entire country. Uh, there's going to be tanks in Kiev and, and kind of rolling to the West. Uh, and they've been, you know, the talk about what do we do uh, and you get into these heavy banking sanctions, you get into these, you know, sort of uh, the Nord Stream to question what happens to that pipeline. Uh, all of these things kind of hinged on the notion that it was going to be this uh, total war. Uh, this looks, at least at the moment, like it, it, it's going to be something less than that. Uh, and so I think it's going to take a little time for the West uh, to calibrate its response. Do you want to support uh, do you want to send more arms to Ukraine and, and risk kind of fueling an escalation of the conflict? Do you want to engage in uh, these ultra punitive economic sanctions and risk the possibility that Putin says, uh, you know, well, look, if you're going to do this to me anyway, I might as well go further and try to take a, a bigger bite out of Ukraine or go all out, you know, in, in the nightmare scenario. Uh, I think it's going to take a little while for Western governments to calibrate exactly how they want to respond to this and try to hit the spot where it's like, you know, sort of um, on par with the, you know, whatever it is that they think Putin has done here, the damage they think he's done uh, to the international system such as it is, but it doesn't, 
uh, go too far and risk further escalation. And and already, uh, you know, I think there's discussion. There are discussions going on within the European Union. Uh, the Biden administration has condemned this move uh, verbally, and it's talked about blacklisting basically the entire uh, Donetsk and Luhansk republics, which would mean no American can do business with anybody uh, in those places. But those are, I mean, those are only first steps. Those are initial reactions. Uh, I, I think it's going to be. It's going to take a little time to to see what the to determine kind of what the further steps are going to be. And then I want to actually end on this issue, which I haven't seen much discussed, but Ukraine famously after the Cold War gave up its nuclear weapons. And it does seem that events like these or, you know, Gaddafi giving up his nuclear program and then having the NATO intervention and Ukraine giving up its nuclear program, then having the Russian um, intervention suggests that the lessons of international politics indicate that one should not give up their nuclear program. Do you think this will have any effect in terms of that or not really? Um, so this is the uh, Budapest Memorandum, I think, is the the uh, what you're looking for. The Budapest Mem- Memorandum on Security Assurances, uh, which was an agreement that was signed in 1994 involving uh, the four ex at that point Soviet republics that had nuclear weapons on their territory. Uh, Ukraine, Kazakhstan, Belarus, and Russia, uh, along with the United States and the United Kingdom as the sort of controlling powers. Uh, The deal was that Belarus, Kazakhstan, and Ukraine would agree to hand over their nuclear weapons to Russia, uh, there was a lot of concern. You know, people people who didn't, if you didn't live and were like politically aware in the '90s, you don't know how much concern there was about rogue nukes falling into the wrong hands. Uh, and it was determined that it was better to kind of keep, you know, kind of have them all in Russia, that it would be easier to control them. And so this agreement uh, consolidated the Soviet nuclear stockpile in Russia uh, in return for. Uh, protection or assurances about the sovereignty and the the territorial uh, kind of uh, uh, security of Belarus, Kazakhstan, and Ukraine. Uh, as you say, you know something like this. What, what's happening now sort of violates. I mean, kind of fundamentally violates the Budapest Memorandum. There are other considerations here, but but on you know as sort of a a basic matter of fact, it does violate the Budapest Memorandum. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's been some talk. I've, I have seen some talk uh, here and there of Ukraine potentially pursuing a nuclear weapons program. I don't know that they have the resources to do that. And I think it would be um, not in their best interest if we can look at, you know, sort of, um, you look at sort of the difference between, and this is something that, that uh, uh, we've talked about on the show before, but it's kind of a common uh, uh, remark these days, the difference between uh, countries that uh, kind of possess nuclear weapons like North Korea and countries that, that haven't even announced that they want nukes, but even just have a, a civilian nuclear program. Iran is the, the big example, and how hard the United States comes down uh, on Iran. I mean, I think for Ukraine to make an announcement that it wants nukes or to take steps that look like it's moving in the direction of a nuclear program um, would trigger a, a much bigger response from Russia. Uh, and it's sort of one of these things, if you don't already have them and you don't already have that deterrent, uh, it's a bad idea to like make moves in that direction uh, when you have a great power, especially one right on your border, uh, that is obviously going to view that as a threat and and take measures to stop you. 
Well, uh, Derek, thank you so much for giving us the presidential daily briefing on Ukraine. Again, uh, we really, really appreciate it. And <laughs> listeners, you know, I, I, as you can tell, you know, Derek at least knows an enormous amount. So please like, subscribe, join our Patreon and, and get the best heterodox foreign policy analysis around. All right, Prestige Heads, I'll see you later. Derek, thanks again. Bye bye.